Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. We hope you enjoyed the message. I was so proud of you during worship. I was walking on the back, and uh, as we were singing that real powerful, upbeat song, and some of you were really almost in rhythm. I was watching you. Man, you were almost there. I was so proud of you. That's all about wore me out. I don't know about you, but it was fun, wasn't it? Okay, so t- today we're, uh, we're going to continue our study uh, that our pastor started a few weeks ago called Getting Healthy Again. And we've been looking at what does it mean to have dynamic spiritual health in our lives. And so we asked the question, how do we, how do we go to get healthy again? And I thought it would be helpful if we did just a little review of what our pastor has taught us up to this point, And then we'll look at today's topic. So as we looked at the starting of this sermon series, the pastor taught us the step one in getting healthy again is to admit that I'm not God. Now, that's a hard step for some of us. I'm not God. There is a God, but I'm not him. And the reason I know I'm not God is that I've got a mess going on in my life that I can't fix by myself. If I was God, I could take all this stuff that's unmanageable in my life, all my failures, all this stuff back here, and I would fix it by myself. I can't. And so that brought us to the second step in this series where Pastor uh, Keith said, even though I'm powerless to control all the problems in life, there is a God that does exist, and God does have the power and has the ability to handle all of my problems. And then the step three, which we started looking at last week, is that we have to acknowledge it's not enough just to admit that my, my life is out of control, that my life is unmanageable, and I'm doing things wrong over and over again, and I just can't seem to fix it. And it's not enough to admit that God is, exists and he does have the power to change my life. What I have to do in the third step is to, I have to trust him with my life and my problems. And that was a trust conversation. And so that brings us up to this morning, which step four is a house cleaning step. And I'm going to give you the sermon in a sentence. All right, so if you want a sermon summary, here it is. You can look at it on the screen. You ready? I must openly examine and confess my faults and sin to myself, to God, and one other person. Now, I want to, when you put that other person, somebody I trust, I want you to put in parentheses somebody I trust implicitly. All right, you got that. So what does this have to do with us getting healthy? It has everything to do with us cleaning up our past. It has everything to do of letting go of the guilt that resides in us, that keeps us captive. It's about gaining a clear conscience and learning to live this life that God has for us. And typically what we've learned is that our guilt, the stuff that we have in our past, is one of the barriers to the joy that Christ has for us today. In fact, when people, <coughs> excuse me, come to our office and they talk about life stories, we've identified the, one of those big barriers is the fact that people come with our, our offices with guilt, they come in our office with remorse, or they come with our office with regret. And they say, what do I do with it? 
And the reality is, is that we look in our back, back in our lives and say, okay, back here, I did this. I wish I could go back and change that. I can't. What do I do? Can God forgive? It, it, it lives with me. It haunts me. Uh, it, it keeps me in bondage. And so what do I do with that? Uh, for a lot of us, we bring this big boatload of guilt with us day to day. And this boatload of guilt feeds addictions that we have to try to, to hide it, to try to, to keep us going. And so we have all these addictions and things that we try to do to outrun our past. And what makes it even more challenging is that we have people in our lives that are really good at reminding us what we did back here. Right? Hey, you remember who you did this? So is it possible to live in such a way that you're afraid of your past and will catch up with you? Is it possible to get rid of all the guilt that seems to stay with us like a stench, like a stench of death? How would it be if we could live like this? Look, notice Psalm 32. This is what we want to live. How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is the, is the man the Lord does not charge with sin and whose spirit is no deceit. Now, wouldn't that be a great reality? Wouldn't that be awesome if we could live like that in life? But we don't. And so this sermon coming out of Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, is all about dealing with our past, dealing with our guilt. And so some might say, well, why is this important? Why do we need to deal with this? Well, there's a couple reasons why. Number one is that if I deal with my guilt, I'll gain confidence in life. So, excuse me, Paul is still out there. I don't know if y'all knew that. And it's hitting me right now. So I might be getting my wife to bring me a bottle of water, which is right there, so I can get rid of it so I don't want to cough anymore. So here we go. I'll gain confidence in life. You know that, that when we live in guilt, guilt sabotages confidence. In fact, guilt and fear are, are sisters almost. We live in fear of our past. We, we live in fear that our past is going to catch up to us. We live in fear that God can't forgive us. We live with this boatload of guilt that kills our confidence going forward. The second thing is that if I deal with my guilt, my relationships will improve. You know, now, we, we know that there are some people in life that they'll, they'll take relationships only so far. And then they intentionally, unintentionally sabotage a relationship. They say, you're, you're, you're not going further any further in this. They'll say biting things. They'll say painful things in life. To keep people kind of like this. How do I keep people at arm's length? The third thing, if we deal with my guilt, my relationship with God would dramatically improve. And many pe- people fear God because of our past. We, we really wonder if God can forgive. So I'm going to give you the good news. He can. He does. And he has. That's the good news. But even more so, there are some of you that are, you say, man, I'm, I'm ready to step up and serve, but, but I, I don't think I can because I got this back. You know, it's like that, that weight 
I can't, I can't serve because of this boatload of guilt that I have in life. But here's the fourth reason why this is important is that for a lot of us, we, our guilt keeps us from experiencing joy. So if we go back to that, our Psalm and we think about joy, that joy that is expressed in the Psalm is not a reality for a lot of us. Look at our faces. Are we really experiencing the joy that was described in that song? Probably not. So it's important that we, that we deal with this. So as we go into this passage, what I want us to do is look at Matthew 5, 8, and I'm going to look at it. I'm going to read three different translations because when I study to, to ready to teach, I like to read different translations. It helps me uh, as I prepare, and I thought there are three that will really help us embrace and get to understand this passage. So the first one is from the English Standard Version. It might read similar to yours, and it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The Holman standard, which is what I use, it reorders it a little bit. He said, the pure in heart are blessed. And then it goes, for they will see God. And then we have another one. And my brother is coming for me. Not your wife. Not my wife. Thank you. <laughs> Woo, we're happy about that one. Thank you, buddy. So you guys are going to excuse me one minute? You got it? Y'all pray. We're good. Now we're going. All right. So now, here we go. The other passage, and I think really it's a message that, that it provides a good commentary. The message is a paraphrase, but I want you to give attention to this. It says, you're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. And that really I think, describes what we're going to talk about today. We're going to try to get our inside world right. So let's do some, let's do some word studies. I think it will help us really quickly. We're going to do, look at some important words in this passage. And we want to start with the word blessed. Blessed is found all the way through the Bible. Uh, we're in the Beatitudes where it says blessed. What does that word mean? Well, some people say, well, it means happy. Well, there's a little limitation on that. Basically, it means you're favored. So in other words, as we live out these beatitudes that we've been reading, as we make them a pattern in our lives, we are favored by God. And all the graciousness that God has for us, that joy that I talked about, the peace that passes all understanding, all of the benefits of being a follower of God, they become a reality in our lives. So he said, blessed. But then he goes on, the pure in heart. Now, what does the word pure mean? Well, it has a, a connotation from the Old Testament where it looked at the internal cleansing. And it really spoke about this, this battle that we have in life is that, that we think that if we just do all the externals, in other words, punch the ticket of what we think God wants us to do, we're okay without dealing with the things that are going on in our lives. So when he talks about pure, I think Jesus picked up and was referring to Psalm 24 where he said, where the psalmist said, who may ascend the hill of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place? He who has a clean hands and a pure heart. So what does that mean? I think that there are some uh, concepts that we had to get our arms around. At first is that purity means forgiven. And the Bible says our sins are white as snow when we confess them. 
So our sins are clean. But there's some, there's some additional ideas. In fact, we'll put them up on the screen if you want to try to quickly write them down. Is that it, it also speaks of focus, concentration, absorption, sincerity. Now that's important. In other words, that in, in my life, the sincerity of my life is not to be double-minded. In other words, having, you know, my, oh, living life over here, it is sincerely intended to be the person that God has wanted me to be. God is first place in my life. It talks about the undivided heart, blameless, forgiven, singleness of mind. All of these are summed up when we look at the word pure. But then we get heart. What does heart mean? Well, sometimes we think it's just the intellect. It's, it's more than that. It's, the, the heart is, is more than mind. It, it includes the mind. It includes the emotions. It includes the will. It, it, it has the, the, things that, the ability to think. So the things that I'm thinking about day to day. How I respond with my feelings in that moment. Am I, am I a person that is responding with anger? So my feelings and, and the way I make a decision is driven out of my singleness of life. The forgiveness that I've experienced. And then you'll notice the outcome. The outcome is that we will see God. And that's reflected in, again back into Psalm 24. And so it, it was, I've lived a little bit. I've, I'm learning. That in my life, I have a very limited and often distorted view of who God is. J.B. Phillips, in one of his books, said, we, we, we want to put God in a box. He said, our, actually, our God, understand God is too small. He said, we want to put God in a box. In other words, we want to confine him and really make him like us. A couple of weeks ago, our pastor was in, in, our, in our sermon series was talking about the sanctity of life, and he described uh, this paganistic uh, ritual that was called Baal worship. And, and some of you might remember in your Old Testaments, there was Baal worship, and it was such a corrupt type of faith that they would take a newborn child, the firstborn, and they would take their child, and they would literally throw this child in the fire offering and would burn that child up. And when our pastor talked about it, I said, how in the world could somebody have such a distorted view of God that they would think God wanted that? But here's the truth. We all do. And if we're going to gain a clearer understanding of who God is, it is as we grow and our purity of heart. Now, for example, uh, how, how many of you guys, have, uh, men, I'm going to talk to you. How many of you men have been married more than 30 years? Raise your hand. Okay. I've been there. I've been, I was married in 1984. I had one of our uh, worship leaders, by the way, this is, this is off subject, okay? Yesterday we were here uh, getting ready for a funeral, and one of the worship leaders saw Karen. She came up to bring me something. And she, he goes, you know, I, I've seen her and I've seen you hundreds of times I just never put y'all together. How'd you do that, Jay? (laughs) I did good. All right? But it's amazing, guys. Isn't it true that the person that we married, we thought we knew? But as we've grown, 
in love and, and deep, how more we know of that person. It's the same thing with our walk with God. The deeper I walk in purity, the singleness of heart, the better I understand who God is. But now we got a problem. And that just really surfaces maybe some levels of guilt. How do, how do we get there? Because as we go through the, you know, this passage, Jesus says, hey, guys, I want you to be perfect. Hmm. Well, now I really feel guilty. Because none of us per- perfectly exhibits poverty of spirit. None of us perfectly mourns over our sins. None of us are perfectly humble uh, and gentle. None of us perfectly thirst. And none of us are perfectly pure in the heart. So how do we get there? What do we do? How do we, and, and, and all of that reality is, how do we deal with all of this stuff? You know, we, the pure in heart will see God. Well, I know I'm not pure. I feel guilt. So how do we do that? So I'm going to give you some, some suggestions that, I, that I, I walk through the Bible, and I'm going to give you some suggestions. You might want to write them down. You ready? So I'm going to give you suggestion number one is that you really have to do an honest examination of your life. You have to clean out the closet. Now, when we talk about that, you remember the phrase skeletons in the closet? And basically, those things that we, we have in our mind, and in our heart, they're in our past, but we want those to be secreted away. We don't want people to see them. They want to, we want people to see the best of us. We don't want them to see all of that stuff, but we know it's there. We know it because it keeps on surfacing in our lives. And we don't want you snooping around it. We don't want you looking at it, but it's there. Now, I, got a, I have an illustration from our life, Karen and I's life. And it had to do with the best day of one of the best days of my life, which is October 20th, 2013. So I'm going to give you the backstory first. All right? Best day of my life. You know, our pastor speaks of the principle of Sunday afternoon naps. Y'all hear him talk about that. And he'll say sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is go home and take a nap. Well, as for me in my house, that has become the unofficial 11th commandment. I just say it's an important time for us. And so this Sunday afternoon, here, we're going to go in the house and we're not really worried about the appearance of the house because we got stuff out. We're not worried about it. The 11th commandment is calling us right now. All right. So we got that going on. So, October 20th, 2013, I got a call from the pastor. Now, up to this point in about uh, August and September, Pastor Keith had been, he has been talking to us about coming on staff full time. Now, we were members here, and then he said, hey, Jay, would you like to come on staff full time? I said, man, are you kidding me? I love this place. You mean I would get paid to work here full time? He said, yeah, not much, but you get paid. I said, all right, man, I'm in, you know. And so we were so excited about the possibility. We're looking forward to it. October 20th, Keith called. Hey, Jay, I thought I'd bring the invitation over to you. I was going to stop by for a second and bring you the invitation to join our staff. I was going, yes. Did a little happy dance. That was bad, I know, but I did a happy dance. I, and so I thought, okay, good. He's coming. But she's obeying the 11th commandment. So I went in. And you guys, you know this story. You don't wake her up, right? So I walk in real quick. 
pastor's coming. He's going to invite me on staff. Now, I was expecting, oh, husband, that's exciting. No, 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 because all of a sudden, what? He's coming now? Yeah, he'll be here 20 minutes. Can you call him, tell him to call back, not come? To, I said, no, because he might change his mind. He's coming, you know. And his red alert, bom, 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 bom. he can't see our house like this. You know? So, man, we were throwing things around quickly, vacuuming, you know, because the preacher is coming. And my, my son, who was about 13 times, he goes, well, I don't understand the big deal. I thought, no, somebody will slap you up there, 13. You know, pastor's coming. And, and, and uh, you know, I love my wife, but, man, she's the biggest liar because pastor came in. And she goes, oh, pastor, such a delight to see you this afternoon. <laughs> You know, and so, man, we were doing all this stuff, and the pastor brought it over, and I learned about how the southern people greet greet each other, all right? There's a pecking order. There's family and friends, and so you just know if you call us today, you're going to get what you get if you come to my house, family and friends. Then you got dignitaries. You got the president. You got Queen Mary. She'd be important. We'd be really cleaning up if she came. Pastor. <laughs> Buddy, if she, if, now if Allison came with him, man, we would have been, whew, pastor's wife's above him. And, and I, I wonder, I wonder why we were like that. I think what it is is that we didn't want to be an illustration for his sermon. So I think that's what happened. <laughs> but, but anyway, he brought that over and man, whew, yes, excited. Whew, he didn't see the mess because we got another room. The mess is still there. We had to clean it up. And isn't it like us? You know, we, we clean up good, but we have a mess. And so we have to do an honest examination. Look deep. In fact, Lamentations 340 said, let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. In Psalm 139, it says, search me, God, and know my heart and test me and know my concerns and see if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me into the everlasting way. So you got to be honest. And how do you do this? Well, you start with your Bible. You guys just start plowing through your Bible. You probably need to get alone. It's hard to do this kind of examination. You've got kids around and a lot of other people, right? So you might need to get alone. And use your Bible. And everything's open at this point. You know, there's some things in, that's going on in our lives that are not necessarily sinful, but they're keeping God from being that priority in our lives. Uh, and then you might just have to be very, very honest about your life. And when you do this, there's a couple of areas that you want to examine. And so you want to start with your attitudes, your attitudes. Do do I have a complaining attitude? Do I have a critical attitude? Do I have an ungrateful spirit? Hmm. Maybe. How about my relationships? Are there bitterness? Is there unwillingness to forgive? Boy, that's a tough one. How about integrity? Does my public life match my private life? How about priorities? Uh, Was there a time when God was first in your life and he's not there now? Just just bring all these to the Lord. The second thing I think is important is stop the blame, deny, and avoid game. Because we we use phrases like, uh, it's not my fault, it's your fault. That's blame. We say, sure, there might be some stuff, but it's not a big issue when everybody else is out there saying, yeah, there's a problem. You can, uh, you can do things like, uh, 
I don't want to talk about it, which is a void. Now, we admit, I catch this, there are some painful things that are going on in our lives that are not your fault. There's things that are going on right now. It's not your fault. There are some painful things that happened in your past that are not your fault. But when I look at my life, if I was really honest, there are plenty of painful moments in my life that are my fault. Number three, let God do a deep cleaning. Now, there's a passage in the Bible that I really want you to connect to. This is probably the most important verse in the Bible for me right now. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. And uh, it says this, If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to cleanse us from our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we don't have sin, we make him a liar. And the His word is not in us. So notice the sequence. When we come to God and say, all right, God, this is the truth about me. I know you know it already, but here's here's the deal. I want to say to you that I know it. And then notice the sequence. He accepts it and he forgives. So frequently people will come and say, you know, Pastor, if you just knew, God can't forgive that. Really? You have a distorted view of who God is. We sang just a minute ago you, that we will, he'll never let us down. God's word says that we are forgiven. The problem is that we have a hard time forgiving ourselves. But let's go back to the principle. You are not God. God says you are forgiven. So why do you keep on holding on to it? So, well, people remind me. Well, then you remind them of the truth of the word of God. It says, well, let me tell you something what God said. And by the way, He'll forgive your critical, demeaning spirit spirit too. (laughs) The the other thing that uh, we need to do is tell a Christian friend. Now, I think this is really essential for our recovery. Um, we, We need truth tellers in our lives. And the reason we know that is that how many times have we made the promise to ourselves to say, I'm going to lose weight. And what happens? Uh, nothing. But when you bring somebody else into that, what happens? You're accountable. And so we need truth tellers. We need somebody to say, okay, I need to unload here. Now, this is somebody, you don't randomly pick them up. You're not going to stand up here in a minute and shout at all your stuff out to everybody else. You're not doing that. Here's what you're doing. You're finding someone that you can trust implicitly. We have a group of people called Stephen Menders who would be great to help with you this. But here's what you do. Say, this is where we are. But th- more importantly, this is where I want to go. And I need you to hold me accountable in this life. And then somebody's going to say, hey, you're getting off here. You're getting off. You, we all need truth tellers. But here's the other thing you have to do. 
You have to apologize. And you know, as we look back in our lives, we, we realize that, that boy, it, it, not only did we make a mess, but as we were making a mess, we hurt some people along the way. We were short-tempered. We were this. We were that. We, we, our behavior wounded other people. And so what happens is, is that when we have that in our relationships, our relationships get stuck. We can't go further. And we just say, we, until we acknowledge it. Now, some folks say, well, I shouldn't have to say I'm sorry. You remember 1970, that sappy movie, The Love Story, came out? There's a lot of women go, oh. <laughs> yeah, and here's the deal. Lady of cancer, guy, marriage, it was really a tearjerker. But in the middle of it was this phrase um, that everybody started quoting. It says, love means you never have to say you're sorry. Well, that's the but sappy nonsense I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> love means you say I'm sorry. And it's not the generalization that we say. It says, hey, if I've ever done anything to you, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. No, it's specific. I hurt you. This is what I did. And in order for me to be healthy again, I need to tell you that I am sorry. I apologize. Will you forgive me? In fact, Matthew 5, 23, Jesus even said that. He said, you know, if you're going to the altar and you remember that you have something to get somebody else, you got to go get reconciled first. One of the, my friends is a Dogwood member here. His name is Doug Hand. And Doug Hand has been going through an incredible journey. And I want to share his story with you. So if you will, pay attention to the screen and hear his story. My name is Doug Hand, and I've been a member of Dogwood for coming up on two years. I grew up in the church. My uh, grandmother, uh, who lived next door to me, and my mom were very involved in the church, and, and so I was involved in youth group, young life, and had uh, the church kind of surrounding me all along. Well, I've been married to Lisa for 11 years. Um, we, uh, we met and had a, an immediate connection actually met online of all things and so we had she had four kids and I had a son who was eight at the time and so we got married and very quickly were pregnant with uh, with with Noah I guess I would sum up the 11 years as utter chaos uh, my son who was eight was ADHD bipolar and the best way to describe it is sucked all the oxygen out of the room. And I allowed him to do that. And I allowed my ex-wife to trample all over the top of us. I didn't stand up to her. So this went on for you know a good part of really nine years. Really, it's only been a couple years since he turned 18 and we don't have to, to have some of that to deal with. But along the way, it, uh, it was just, dysfunction, chaos, all the above. And I took, I took out my anger, I took out my frustration on Lisa, my wife. And blended families are hard. Anybody would understands that, they're hard. So there was a lot of emotional abuse, verbal abuse that went on in the house. And, and I always tell Lisa, Probably 50% of it didn't even have to do with her. It's just I was taking it out on her. And uh, I realized that was, that's wrong. 
we finally, we had gone to counseling over the years, but just in a limited basis at, at different churches and stuff. So we finally committed and I found a Christian counselor and said, okay, we're gonna go to this counselor because we, we've got to. I knew that, that things were just at a point where we just couldn't stay the way it was. And so we got into an argument. It's really six weeks ago. And at two o'clock in the morning, we're in the kitchen having a knockdown drag out. But it's more me pursuing her around the kitchen, pointing my finger at her and being angry and her saying, crying and saying, let's just go to bed, let's just stop. And I didn't stop. I just kept being angry. And she really was crying in a way that I'd never really seen. It really, it really kind of impacted me. So we go to the counselor two days later and we describe what went on. And the counselor dressed me down and I took it. And I guess something inside of me clicked and I walked out of that appointment and I realized something had to change. So we talked, Lisa and I talked, and that night I made the decision, no more. I'm doing a 180. So a 180 for me was, I'm gonna get up the next morning at 6 a.m. and I'm gonna open up my Bible and I'm gonna read. And then I'm gonna get on my knees and pray. It's real simple. It's not hard. For the last five weeks, I have gotten up every morning at 6 a.m. and I've opened up that Bible and I've opened up the daily bread and I've read the Bible and, I, and I've gotten on my knees. God got in the middle of us and so my commitment has been to her and I told her and I tell her every day that I love her. Absolutely, I'm over the moon in love with this girl and I have been since day one but we treat the ones we love the worst. So I had to go and really apologize to her. And we've had a lot of conversations and, and, and she's wading back into the pool, which is great. And, and I went to each one of her kids and I asked for forgiveness. But I've got to prove to her and to myself. And what's quite funny is I hadn't read the Bible three days in a row in my entire life. And I've read it five weeks, every single day. And I've got an accountability partner. So we talk once a week. And Lisa's gonna get an accountability partner. And we have put God in the middle of our relationship and we pray every morning together about that. You know, as I started reading the Bible and getting back into the Word, I understood better the Holy Spirit and I understood and I say it every day in my prayer that I thank God for sending Jesus to forgive me of my sin and I understand that if I can have Jesus in my life on a daily basis that things are going to be okay and there's a comfort that I have not had before that I have now and I know that can only grow. I guess my encouragement to people that would watch this is to take inventory of your life and what you're doing. And if you are in a similar situation to what I've described of how you're treating your wife, then stop. Realize if you really want to change, do it. Get, up, get on your knees, open up that Bible, and get humble. 
and apologize and change your direction. Do the 180 because I think you'll be shocked if you truly stick to it, how people will respond and people are forgiving and God's forgiving. He sent Jesus here to forgive our sins. And so I would hope that those watching, this might have an impact on them to cause them to step back and go, I want to change my life. I want to have a happy marriage. I want to have a happy family. Okay. Um, in fact, Doug even took it to the next step. He talked to his small group. Some of his small group is here. And that influence of what they're doing has changed them as well. So the last thing. You've got to accept God's forgiveness and forgive yourself. Probably the most important things that you can do. Accept God's forgiveness and to forgive yourself. And we're going to give you that opportunity in just a moment. I'm going to ask our worship team to come back on stage. And I'm going to take you into a time of prayer. And uh, in the time of prayer, maybe let's start that moment of saying, God, okay, examine me. Start showing me some things. Open agenda here. Help me. Uh, maybe, it, maybe it's something that's really clear uh, in your life, says, okay, God, please forgive me. Maybe it's that confessional moment that you would like to have. It might be beneficial uh, to, to write it out on your, your notes. Another thing that you, could, you might want to do is uh, to take the response card. And on the response card, put your name, and on the back say, I'd like to, one of the pastors to talk to me. What, what Doug said, I need to know more about that. So in the response card, you might want to put that in the basket today, and we'll follow up with you. So let's, let's have our time of prayer. So, Father, we come to you, and we acknowledge that, boy, Lord, as we, we look at our lives, we're messed up. We have sin. We have habits that hurt us. And we just want to bring to you right now, our, we want to confess that to you. We seek you. We ask your forgiveness. We ask that you renew us. We ask that you examine us. Give us the courage to examine our lives. And Father, may we experience the joy that you've called us to. So, Father, now, in the quietness of this moment, we pray. So, Father, continue to work in us as we leave this room. But right now, Father, we pray that you will give us a new song, a new heart, a new joy. And it's because you're doing that, we can sing to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you would like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword Dogwood to 77977. 
or click the gift link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and to give.